Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Beverly Glenn Copeland is a visionary musician and tremendous human being who currently resides in Sackville, New Brunswick. Born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Copeland moved to Canada in 1961, where he studied at Montreal's McGill University until that institution expelled him for identifying as a transsexual man and engaging in relationships with heterosexual women. Undaunted, Copeland went on to have a remarkable career, working as a musician and appearing on children's shows like Sesame Street and Mr. Dress Up, engaging in musical theater productions and films, and releasing innovative albums like his recently reissued 1985 classic, Keyboard Fantasies. Glenn was in Guelph recently for a stunning musical performance at the 2018 Kazoo Festival, and after a screening of a short documentary called The Lake Sutra, Beverly Glenn Copeland's Keyboard Fantasies, he and I held a a live interview before an audience at Kazoo HQ as an ice storm raged outside. I should note that while virtually every live episode of Creative Control is overseen by both an engineer who mixes the sound in the room for the audience and also a recording engineer who captures it all as pristinely as possible, 
I'm quite sad to say that no such people were present to mix and document this interview, and so the resulting recording was rather rough. I'd like to thank A. David McKinnon, who normally records such episodes for me, for working with the raw files here to make them sound as good as possible under the circumstances, and I hope that Glenn's remarkable spirit still shines through for you as you listen to this. Sponsored by Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, and Planet of Sound locations in Ottawa and Toronto, this is the 390th episode of Creative Control, featuring Beverly Glenn Copeland with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Very much. Thank you. Glenn, it's uh, amazing can I, to can have you. Can I just you. say a word? Pardon me? Can I say a word? Of course. Thank you for coming out. Because you could have, this is the kind of weather where people get hurt, you know, because we're not, we've, we've become unaccustomed to it for 15 whole minutes. Yeah. Anyway, thank you very much for coming. Yes, the ice storm uh, has, is pretty brutal out there, and uh, we do appreciate you being here. Uh, Glenn, those of us in the room have just uh, watched a, a film, a short documentary about you, and it was beautifully made, and uh, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about its background before we get too much further into you and your life. Yes, um, Naomi Hochura um, and Brandon Hochura Brandon became uh, the person um, that I chose to reissue this um, Keyboard Fantasies. Um, and uh, he was married, unbeknownst to me, and why should I know, to um, a, a, a brilliant documentary filmmaker. And one time she said, oh, I'd like to do some, something with you. And I said, well, can I see some of your films? And you know, she allowed, she sent me some links, and they were stunning, mm. stunning, right? So when you know when they said that they wanted to you know do something to have a little bit of presence for keyboard fantasies, I said. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so we went up to um, to um, Huntsville, where I lived for many, many, many years. Actually, the better part of 40 years I lived in that area, really, when you get right down to it. Um, and, um, you know, they very casually said, oh, well, we'll take a little of equipment. And, you know, you can just do whatever you want. We'll rent a kayak for you, because I used to kayak constantly, and I did not have a kayak with me, because I'd, I'd moved to, um, to the uh, Maritimes. And um, so they rented the kayak, and, and they said, oh, would you like to go kayaking? <laughs> so, you know. When was the last time you kayaked prior to that sequence in the film? Um, probably uh, the year before. Oh, not too... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah, no. I was under the impression it had been many years. It wasn't a miraculous... Well, you say you constantly kayak. Well, I've never well, heard anyone say that, by the way. Oh, constant no. kayak. Oh, constant kayaking. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I think I won my wife kayaking. Oh. Because I took her out in a kayak and didn't say anything for two hours. Of course. And she was so impressed. <laughs> anyway. Whatever. Okay, well. Which is the first time I, that, was, you know, that I was ever quiet, so. 
Well, in my brief encounters with you here in town and, and just watching this film, uh, you carry yourself with a, a, a level of peace and joy that I aspire to. And uh, I want to crack that code as best I can in the time we have to figure out where you, how you've gotten there. Or, I mean, that's, I know that you're on a journey here. <laughs> so perhaps you haven't arrived, but it's no, just there's some. No arrival on that there's no arrival. There's just something about your demeanor that I find captivating in terms of how you interact with life. Um, I must say that just uh, we've we've briefly spoken since you've been in town. By the way, have you ever been to Guelph before? Oh yes, yes. I'm. I used to come here fairly frequently. I have very 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 dear friend who too actually who lived here. And, and I would travel for reasons. And I have a very, very, very dear friend who lives here now, who is in the audience. And um, so that is my tie okay. now to Guelph. So you come here somewhat regularly? Oh, no, I've never, oh. I haven't been here in years and years, okay. despite the fact that I have a very dear friend who lives here. Right. Uh, but now um, we've reconnected because, uh, not, not that we were not connected, but I've actually physically made that journey okay. now. So now I'm, I see how wonderfully they live. I'll be here constantly. <laughs> I, I do. I don't <laughs> want to uh, backpat our town too much, but what do you make of our city? It, we, we like it, some of us. Well, okay. So, so I, I, <clears throat> I have two re reactions. Yes. First of all, I'm easily overwhelmed by cities. So when I was here, um, this is 30 years ago when I was coming, it was a small town, right? And which meant there was no high rises and I couldn't see anything, hardly much. Mm -hmm. some, some houses, which, which made me calm, right? Um, and when I first arrived, I got nervous, right? What, you mean on this trip? Yes. Yeah. I just, I mean, you know, just that the part of me that goes, oh, city, oh, wow, a city, oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> However, what I'm finding is that it's still a small town. <laughs> you know? Very much so. And it still has the same feeling. Right, it has the same feeling. People, it's people make things. People are what make uh, a community feel in any whatever way it is. Yeah. It's not the buildings, right? Yeah, absolutely. So yes, it has. It has. It's lovely. Well, speaking yeah. of small towns and close knit communities, my understanding is that you currently reside in Sackville, New Brunswick. I do. And what brought you to Sackville? When? How long have you been there? I've been there two years. Um, I moved to the Maritimes in 2011, but I moved to Sackville in two summers ago. Now there's a fair contingent probably in the audience uh, here in Guelph. Uh, we, a lot of us go to Sackville for the annual Sappy Fest Music Festival. Yeah, I knew nothing about it. Um, I've been a, pretty much a musical monk most of, because I, I, back when I first started to do concerts, yeah. my first couple of albums came out, I would retire after every concert because I really wasn't, I wasn't a person who particularly wanted to be on stage. Mostly I wanted to write. And, and stage, I mean, I, I managed it quite well. It wasn't that I, I wasn't, you know, an okay performer. It wasn't that. It's just that I had no desire for it. I wanted to write. I wanted other people to sing the songs. <laughs> and... <laughs> Is there some right. uh, performance anxiety or just simply, uh, it's not a natural thing. I know I think some people, we take uh, performance, no, live no, performance for no, granted no, a little bit. No, I have no performance anxiety. No. It's not that. It's that 
first of all, my body rhythms are such that I'm best suited for children's television in the daytime. Yes, there's a name for this medical condition, I believe. Um, that's, that's fascinating, yeah, yeah, yes, I can see that. At the point where I was expected to go on stage, I would be going like, no, it's like bedtime. Like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> that's right, oh, I see, your body clock wasn't prepared for that. My body clock yeah. was not like, it was not right. set up for, right. for, you know, and now, Well, that is optimal hopping and hipping time. Yes, obviously. <laughs> I might yeah, say, yeah, right, yeah. Well, especially so, when you're young. Right. So, so Sackville is treating you well. It is. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Sackville is a wonderful, wonderful place. So you you have, uh, and how long have you lived in Canada? Because you're not from Canada originally. I moved to Canada in 1961. You're practically here as long No, as not practically. What? I am a Canadian. You are? Okay. Yes. That's great. Because what happened was, when I crossed the border the very, very, very first time I was going to McGill, literally, I was on the bus, and, well, my parents took me the first time, but then when I, you know, came home for Christmas, and then I went back on the bus, as, as we approached the Canadian border, oh, I really like sleep, you know, <laughs> approached the Canadian border, something in me went. And when we went over the border, my whole being went like that, right? And I've always thought it's because the people are lovely, but I, I actually think it's a memory. Because um, most people don't know this, but the old Negro spirituals um, are not actually about uh, what people think they're about. Mm -hmm. And when and they talk about crossing the River Jordan, they're actually they're actually uh, codes for how to get free. Yeah. But they're all couched in in Christian terms. And the River Jordan is actually the St. Lawrence folks, right? Mm -hmm. And so I have like I feel like I have ancestral memory, right? Right. Of of crossing the St. Lawrence and going, <gasps> because I mean. I just, I, I have no, no reason to account for that. My parents brought me to Montreal when I was 12, but you know, I'm 12, like, you know, wow, buildings next. Right. You know, so it wasn't that, yeah. Yeah. So where were you actually, uh, up until you moved to uh, Canada, where were you living? I was living in Philadelphia. Philadelphia? Yeah, I was born in Philadelphia. Yeah. And what was your upbringing like? How would you characterize it? Extremely fortunate. Fortunate. Very, very fortunate. Can you expand upon that? Well, my parents were the third generation out of slavery only. Yes, they were the third generation out of slavery. And they both had advanced degrees, very advanced degrees. And they um, um, both had wonderful jobs as educators. My mother traveled the world representing the United Nations. Um, in the field of education. My father was a principal of a high school. My father was a classical pianist uh, of the European classical um, piano repertoire. He played, um, that was his avocation. He came home every day from school and he was a brilliant pianist. He came home every day. We had a Steinway Grand sitting in the living room wow. and my father played it five hours a day. And uh, that was my cradle music. Um, I schooled myself in many, many other things. I mean, they, they, you know, my father was really into 
the, you know, the jazz masters and whatever, and my mother would sit and, and play the piano, and she could play anything, and she would, she would sing stuff, and we would sit together and sing stuff. So we lived in a beautiful home, abutting a, a forest. The home was created by, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this, because people think, okay, you're the fourth generation, no doubt your life was very difficult. It was very difficult, but not for the reasons that people think, right, in my particular case. So we lived in a beautiful home, in a beautiful environment, in an in, in integrated community, right, of gorgeous homes. So that was my upbringing, right? So, you know, it's... Um, I consider it just incredible good fortune because the likelihood was that, you know, statistically that, that really was very, a small statistic. Is it true that your mother was the first African-American admitted to Penn State University? Yes, she was. And she was admitted at for, a, for a, a master's degree in 1941, right. and there was no other black woman on the campus. When did the significance of that occurrence uh, resonate with you? At, at what point did you recognize that that was special or different? I don't think I really ever, you know, when you're, when you're young, you know, you take your situation for granted, no matter what it is, whether it's fortune or, or struggling or whatever, that is the norm for you as a child, because mm -hmm. that's what ch children, you know what your environment is, right? So I didn't think about it. Right. But, but I was brought up as a Quaker, which is the Religious Society of Friends. I mean, Quakers are um, in, into, they're, they're the Buddhist end of Christianity. They have no ministers, um, and they meditate, they, ga they gather together and meditate uh, together in silence um, in order to, um, to be able to find, to touch what they call the inner light, which in Buddhism we call uh, the Buddha nature which all people have within them, which is their basic nature. They called it the inner light. And then, um, so, I mean, it was, it was, it was Buddhism, really. Mm -hmm. Only it was, it was uh, is Christ's message from the perspective of um, the universality that, it, that where it crosses over into Buddhism, where it crosses over into actually all, all faiths at some very deep level, right? I mean, Quakerism is generally, I believe, steeped in Christianity, right? Yeah. Well, it depends faith. on what you mean by steeped. It came from Christianity, right? but its, pers pers its perspective about things was actually Christ's real message. Right. <laughs> which, which is to say that uh, members of this faith, the Quakers, were... Um, considered conduct they were conductors of the underground railroad they were they were like risking their lives and everything they owned to get to smuggle slaves from slavery for 50 years before slaves were allowed to you know they were they were busy they were very busy so at what point did you discover buddhism and what about it offered you clarity that your your upbringing as a quaker didn't if 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 I, maybe I, I'm maybe, I really maybe I'm being presumptuous about no, that. No, I don't. Th I don't think that if uh, I don't think it was a matter of clarity, um, because certainly um, um, Quakerism is uh, th that particular practice 
is tremendously profound, right? But I was born talking. And seriously. Wait a minute. Can you expand upon the scene there? You, you're, you're, you're born and you're just chatting? Yeah, yeah, no. Well, you know, my mom told me that by the time I was nine months and I, could pull, I pulled up early, you know, so, you know, in those days, kids were stuck in another room. It wasn't like the way we often are now, where we keep our kids close to us, and which, which all of our ancestors did. Right. Right. But, you know, so, so I, I had this room, and my mom said that at 5.30 in the morning, I'd wake up, and then I would proceed to jump up and down in the, in the, on the, in the crib, holding on to the bars, and talk to myself for two hours with no need for anybody to come and, and be with me. So it's kind of hard on my mother. <laughs> you mean you're, you, the fact that you were already self-sufficient on I was, some level? I, I, there, I, it was, I just like talking. And, so, and, and I talk all the time in my house when I'm alone. It's a constant conversation all day long. I'm talk, I talk the day. Every, and my wife is so happy when I'm gone. <laughs> And, um, She's like, what happened to that kayak guy? <laughs> that guy didn't say anything. <laughs> Get rid of this guy. <laughs> okay, but back to what. Yeah. So, so I had started being interested in philosophy of the East when I was 12. 12 and years I, old. 12, yes. When I was 12, I began reading things from China, from Japan, da, 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 da. So obviously something was calling to me, right? And then when I was um, 24, 5, when was I 20? Yeah, 25, I went, okay, I, I want to practice. But most of the practice, and I was, and I was attracted to the practices from the East. Yeah. yeah, I just was. I had always been. So I thought, okay, but most of the practices, including, you know, the one in which I brought up was, were silent practices, folks. That didn't work for me. <laughs> For me to sit silently was a stress that I was not willing to put myself through. <laughs> so I found this magnificent practice where what it wasn't a silent practice. It was not a problem. I could do that. And it was still the same principles, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But it but when, when, when you put sound through your body, right, something very magical happens. We all know that when we sing, something magical happens. You know, when we, even when we're listening, even when we're passive, it's, sound is um, an incredible, it's a vibration. It, it's vibrating us, right? It's vibrating us, right? Sorry. You don't have to get rid of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's vibrating us, and, and, and when you're chanting, you know, and if you're chanting, like I chant, I try to chant an hour every day. So if I'm chanting, by the time I've chanted 40 minutes, I'm in zone land. But it's not like it's zone land where I'm gone. It's like I'm in zone land where I'm clear. Right? And it's like, even if I'm not thinking about things, the rest of the day is just perfect. I'm in the right place at the right time. The right things occur. And if something is really, like life is suffering and life is joy, 
right? It's not like you're going to do some kind of practice and miraculously there will never be any more suffering. But there's suffering and suffering. There's suffering where, where when things that are very difficult that happen to us, we then lose hope or, or and we lose our sense that um, we're okay, that we are actually wonderful beings, and we, we feel that everything, we, we just, we, we despair. Hmm. Whereas the teachings, the purpose of all the teachings really, but, but what is very much emphasized in, with Nam-myoho-renge-kyo, with the teachings in, in Buddhism, and specifically in our faith, is that when when you get, when you get in touch with that whatever that is which they call buddhism which or the buddha nature that that is life itself and the life itself is a miracle and that we are miracles and that and that the the beauty the beauty of actually waking in, in this universe is itself the profoundest of joys. And that when we really understand that, we are able to bring up a, a state of life that then, then is able to transform the suffering that we experience into, it's like fodder that then, then can it, it illuminates and helps us to understand. If I, I'll put it like this. If I suffer something, whatever it is, and I'm able to come to a point where I understand the suffering and, and my, my, my energy remains high and my, I still feel courageous and I still feel joyous despite the fact that I may be suffering, then my environment will reflect that back to me. Because actually we are one with our environment, which is not something that we're taught. But you know, you experience it every day. If I go up, for instance, if I go up to someone and I'm in a bitch of a mood, right? For some reason or another. And I look at the person in front of me and it's like, Right? And, and I put that out, what do I get back? I get that back, right? If, I, and, and if I'm suffering and I, whatever, and I feel like this is something to, for me to learn about, this is something to transform me, this is something that may turn into something that will allow me to help someone else who is suffering this at some time, because all of us suffer. And, and I put out a vibration of, yes, I'm suffering, but yeah, life is good. Then that is what gets reflected back. Now, it's not a simple one-to-one. -one. It's not like people don't get killed. It's not like people don't die. It's not like, it's, but even in Auschwitz, under the most horrific of circumstances, there have been those, and you know this, you, I mean, you may know this, but if you don't, 
There have been those who survived Auschwitz, and they were known as people who held a light the whole time. They were a light. They were a solace for those around them. And they never gave in to the horror, the external horror of what was happening. Mm -hmm. They never took it within themselves. Right. That's a long answer. <laughs> it was very well put, mm -hmm. I might say. Um, you alluded, when we were talking about your upbringing, you alluded to the fact that in your particular instance, you there was suffering, there yes. was difficulty. Yes. Can you articulate that yes. exactly for us? What yes, were you going I can. through? When I was three, my mother just, my mother told me when she was in the last seven years of her life, she was living with me, I was caring for her. She said to me, when you were three, you told me you were a boy. But that was 1947, right? So she had no way to deal with that, right? She just thought I was a little confused. I just like to play with guns. I was constantly killing, killing the dolls. You know, you know, it's just, you know, and then when I, and then as a teenager, you know, my parents started worrying because I was not acting heteronormatively. You know, I was not acting like a heterosexual female. And so when I went, and, and I was very aware, I was totally attracted to young heterosexual women from the time I was 12 on. Actually, my first true love happened at three, but she was 28 or something. So that, That's not good. I don't, but I mean, it happens. These things happen. They yeah. do happen, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So I went through a very long period of time where I had no, no language for what I was. And when you have no language, when we, when we don't have language for things, then it's a very confusing state. And then because I didn't act like I was supposed to, McGill got a load of what, how I was acting because I had a young woman who was my lover for five years. And during that time, we had absolutely no friends. Not a single friend for five years. We were totally alone. That in itself is a suffering. But then, you know, they got a load of me and it was like, okay, you know, this person needs to leave our university, right? right. You know, like, you know, this is 1964 and like, you, you know, 1963, you, you need to be gone, right? But I managed to, to weather that, right? But then as time went on, my parents, who were being informed by what, was, what they were being told, actually began freaking out, of course, right? They just freaked out. So they started dragging me to psychiatrists who all looked at me and went, well, you only have a little bit of a mustache. There's really no reason why you should, you know, whatever. And then at one point, they actually ganged up on me by having a 
one of my aunts, who was quite muscular, come over, and, and, and they forced me into the car and forced me to a, a doctor's office who was writing out the, to have me uh, put in a hospital, um, whatever you call that. Committed? Committed, to have me committed. And if I had been committed at that time, I would have suffered brain damage because I would have been shocked, right? That's what they did. Electroshock therapy. Yeah, it would have been electroshock therapy. So I managed to get free and flew through the streets of Philadelphia <laughs> with my parents running behind me, trying not to look too, you know, too auspicious, <laughs> running after their child, right? And I managed to escape. So wait, how old were you at this point? At that point, I was 20. You were 20. Mm -hmm. and, um, and because I managed to escape, I escaped that. And then, then the rest of life was just about, um, you know, I mean, there were other horrible things, and I won't go into that. That's not necessary. But hmm. the, the point is, is that to be transgendered during those particular years, when there was no understanding of that, wasn't even, there wasn't any understanding of being gay or, or a lesbian or, or anything on the spectrum. The, the, un, there was no understanding of human sexuality whatsoever. And the fact that we are all somewhere on a spectrum, you know, between even saying masculine and feminine doesn't express it, right? right? There's, there, we have no idea how complex and sensitive we all are on this particular spectrum, right? And, and you, know, you know, to say that I, you know, I feel like a male, but I have a lot of feminine characteristics, right? Because males have a lot of feminine characteristics, because that's, that's a, you know. So like if you come to my concert, you're gonna hear me singing, I'm gonna sound just like a female an awful lot of the songs, right? Because for one thing, because I feel like it. And, and, and for another thing, because I refused to take testosterone because I did not want to change my voice. Right. And I was born with a three octave range, right? And I didn't want to touch it because who the hell knows what happens? You take testosterone, you look good, but Lord knows what happens to your voice, right? right? You know? be all muscled up and with my nice, fabulous, whatever, going <laughs> it seems like a, It seems like a nice segue to move from, <laughs> to move from uh, your studies at McGill into your pursuit of music, um, and particularly... <laughs> I told a couple of kayak jokes. What am I supposed to do? I I am a I'm a little serious. I yeah, I don't know. I'm a nature, I'm right? a dad. I yeah. I don't know what to say. I have a serious. What do you, what do you want me to do? Yeah, tell tell some jokes. I have no. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> okay. No. I do want to find out though about your uh, the, the, the discovery of your voice as a singer. Oh, the discovery. Okay. That's what I was getting at there. I, okay. I didn't mean to be all stodgy about it. A stick in the mud. I just thought you came all the way to Guelph. We talk a little bit about your singing voice. God. Okay, okay, re relax. I'm okay, just, I will just, try I'm to just... relax. You're not the first to tell me that. Yeah. I will try to relax. <laughs> try to relax. All right. Okay. Just giving you a hard Well, time. just because your parents, you say your father would come home, he'd play piano for five hours. Right. So you were interested in classical music. You mm -hmm. are 
trained as a musician, yes. Yes. But singing is a whole other level of. Mm -hmm. That's a gift, I think, on some level. You say you're born with a three octave voice. Yeah. Okay. First of all, on both sides of my fa fa my, my father's side and my mother's side, there are amazing singers. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Like, who actually... My grandmother on my father's side was an amazing singer mm -hmm. and sang actually some of the classical repertoire, even though she was born in 1880-something and was First Nations, okay? Right. So that was there. And then on my, my mother's side, the same thing. Her brother uh, actually took a Bachelor of Music and, and had a gorgeous voice. So just from a genetic point of view, I inherited the genetics nice. for a voice, yeah. right? Yeah. But then my father was so brilliant that when I'd go to do my piano lessons, it would be like, unfortunately, we took from the same teacher. That never do that to your children. You and your father had the same music teacher? Yes. Well, in those days, it was hard to find a music right, teacher. Right, right, right. So my father would go in first, right? And he would go, and the teacher started having orgasms, right? And... <laughs> And then I'd come in and go, ding, wing, and wing, wing, and the teacher go, Oh, man. So uh, it was too much. Yeah. It was too much to have a genius in your family on, of, of some kind. Is a com uh, is children are naturally competitive, right? My father was not competitive with me. But he set the bar so high right. that it was just really impossible for me to really, really be able to deal with the piano. Right. And then when I was, you ready for the story? Because this is a great story. I'm, a, I'm somewhat prepared, yeah. Somewhat prepared. When I was uh, 15, I had a very dear friend of mine. And um, she said, let's go join the orchestra. Because I, I actually went to a, a school that had advanced arts studies, creative studies, in, in back in 1957, right? So there was, an, uh, in our school, we had an orchestra, and it was a really good orchestra, and we had also visual art, and it was really good. So mm -hmm. anyway, she said, let's go join the orchestra. And I said, oh, okay. So we, we went to the orchestra leader, and she said, well, what would you like to play? And my friend said, I'd like to play the harp, right? And then she turned to me, and she said, well, that's fine, we have harps. And then she turned to me, and she said, what would you like to play? I said, I don't know, um, I don't know. And she said, how about the trombone, right? right? So 
my friends started playing the harp. I went home to my mother and, and I said, you know, they'd like me to play the trombone. And my mother said, over my dead body, right? So, so that seems a bit harsh about the trombone. Why? That seems odd. Was it the noise? The sliding? People don't like the sliding. No, no you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I just think she had a prejudice about me as a female playing a brass instrument, right? Because it's stereotypical, right? Back in those days. Oh, you know? okay. If, if it had been flute, she would probably have said, yes, okay, fine flute, right? But it was like a brass instrument. So my friend joined the orchestra, and she became the first uh, harpist for the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Uh, yeah, like, hello. And, 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 and I, um, I joined the choir. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. And my voice was, quote, unquote, discovered. And then I ended up as um, going through classical music. And I ended discovered by you, you mean? No, by those around me. I oh, really thought oh, about oh, okay. It. I, you know, the music teacher, right. she got a load of my voice. She inst instantly sent me to a, a classical uh, vocal coach who, you know, did, did and one thing or another. And so then when I went to McGill, I went as a vocal student. So did you already know you had the power? When you say discover, that's what I'm wondering. I wonder about your own discovery of your no, voice. And you know, I know, like the power, what's the power? You know, you just... Are you making fun of me right now? No. <laughs> No, but people think. Uh, people, well, I just mean, I mean, that when someone else external to you tells you about your talent and your yeah. skill. No, but it, no, no, no. You I don't, just wonder you, if you had that confidence already. No, I had a lot of confidence, but it wasn't about this or that. Hmm. Right? But I also had a lot of not confidence. Because if you, and it doesn't matter who you are, if you're told you're not good enough about, in some subtle ways, you're not good enough for the, you know, you're not quite up to snuff or whatever. And blacks were all told that yeah. just as a, you know, that was the, the message, right? So it didn't matter whether you had 53 degrees, you were only three generations from being told your only worth was to work in a field mm -hmm. for free until you died and you couldn't keep your children and all that stuff, right? right. So that message, is, that message is brought through, through generations. And, and all of us have suffered many different things in our, um, in our genetic history because there is not a people in the earth who were not enslaved at some point or were not slave masters at some point. That's just human nature. So if, if you were Irish, for instance, um, and you, you, you ended up starving to death because the landowners took all the food and then the blight came and too bad for you. So, you know, two or three million of you died. Well, it's too bad. Well, then the Irish have, you know, are dealing with that. Right. And it's in, you know, three generations later, they're four generations later, they're dealing with that. Yeah. Because those, so those messages. So I, on the one hand, was given a wonderful upbringing but on the other hand, I also received those messages. And especially for blacks in the United States, the, um, if you had the opportunity to, um, to rise in any way towards a sort of a normal life where you were able to support your family, right? You had to be, pardon this, but you had to be better than anybody else. Yeah. Right? You couldn't yeah. just be an ordinary person. Right. You had to be better, right? Because if you weren't better, then all the other people around you at whatever that was, you wouldn't even get noticed, much less have a chance to do what you do, right? I mean, I, I listened to your conversation about alienation, about adversity. I, I, you were saying earlier that you talk to yourself a lot. Yeah. And you, we're, we're talking now about, you know, finding, 
finding your talent, discovering your talent. I wonder how much of your journey is about, and I think a lot of us have this journey, but how much of your journey specifically is about like self-preservation, about actually, you know, making sure that you are counted among the rest of us and, and making sure that you've established yourself as, a, as, a, as someone who's proud of themselves, so to speak. I am sure that's part of it because I don't think it would be possible for me to have received the messages that I received. However, as a Buddhist, I'm working on that. And I may be working on that till the day I die. So you're working on what aspect of? I'm, well, I'm, okay, if you, if you receive messages where you are less than, one of two things happens. Either you go down with the less than, yeah. and you go like this, you deflate, or you inflate to counteract the messages. Either way, it's the same thing that's, that's happening to you. you. You have been told you are less than, that you are not as valuable just as you are, right? So in my case, because I was told that I was less than, right, I have a lot of Leo planets, so I... <sighs> But it wasn't a, a big thing. Not like I strutted around. Do, do, do. <laughs> me, me, me. I, it, wasn't, it wasn't like that. But it, it was subtle. But it was there. And I've only recently really been able, through my practice, to be able to say, ah, that's what that is. Right. Right? That's the less than. And now, let's just feel that and not have to do any subtle puffing up to counteract that, right? Right. Yeah. So um, when my voice was whatever, I mean, I was happy that I could sing, but I so loved the repertoire that for me, it wasn't about how wonderfully I sang. It was about the fact that I was immersed I was immersed in this world that just took me away. I utterly love the European repertoire of the 19th century, the song repertoire. Yeah. I adore it, but I adore a lot of other things because I was listening to Chinese music when I was 13, and I was listening to music from India. And I was listening to African drumming and Afri West African music. That's right. You were initially inspired by music from all around the world, really. That's right. Yeah. yeah as much as whatever your, your yeah. you know, the classical music your, yeah. your parents had in the house. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're running a little bit out of time, uh, but I want to get to keyboard fantasies. I want to get to Indigo Rising. You know, we've been talking a little bit in the last few moments about external perceptions, feeling less than. You are experiencing... Um, for lack of a better term, something of a renaissance. People have discovered your work again, uh, which is a, an amazing thing, I assume, for an artist to all of a sudden be like, oh, that thing I made in 1986 or whatever is, it has a new life somehow. How are you, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the fact that these, these records you've made are, are being reissued and re reappraised? I was told when I was young that my career would happen when I was in my, in my old age. Who told you that? Oh, psychics. A psych oh, several psychics? Several psychics. Well, then that must be true. So, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, and it's coming true. 
it's coming <laughs> it's coming true. So you, you thought this might be in the offing? No, it's not that I thought it, but I knew that what, the universe was very, very strict with me. Nothing happened. Every time something was about to happen, something would stop it. And I won't go into the details of the stopping, but it was absolutely, everything was kiboshed during my, you know, for years. And I believe it was because I was not ready. I was not ready. And also, the music that I was writing, the generation that it would appeal to were not yet, they were just being born. You were just being born. Sorry, so, I mean, we, we, you, we, we discussed this, <laughs> we discussed the fact that you have uh, a huge vocational history with children's music and children's arts and children's yeah. education, right. and at the same time you've made records for adults, yes. who now you're saying the adults weren't quite ready. Maybe well, no, the, no, I don't, I don't. Is it possible, let me posit this to you, that the music you were making for adults uh, was made for the adults that were the children at the time that you were making the children's music? Oh, uh, well, possibly. Is that too convoluted? I thought that was just kind of what you just said. I was trying to echo well, it. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, it could be, but I'm not really fast with math. Okay, so. Um, yeah, if you carry the five. No, never mind. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> if you, if you um, my father was a mathematician. Your father sounds like Superman. He was, he was really, he was a very, very humble man. But yeah. he was like, you know, but once again, you know, like he would go, because he, that, he majored in math. Right. You know, in university, it's like, I, I didn't get any of those genes. It's like, I would look at it and go, oh, yeah, right? Why don't you? Yeah, so when this particular, how many of you were born in the mid-80s? How many of you were born in 90 after 90? Okay, so yes, yeah, so you were being born. And I actually had thought that it would be good cradle music, you know. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I, I will tell you on a personal note, uh, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but my mother uh, has been battling uh, cancer for the last six months. And uh, it's been very difficult, but my, um, uh, particularly the chemotherapy and my sister, uh, when my sister heard you were coming to town, um, she obtained a copy of Keyboard Fantasies and has been playing it for my mother to help her deal with um, her insomnia. And it's worked. It's worked beautifully, and it's uh, it's actually calmed her down quite a bit. So I thank you for that. Well, sorry to make it heavy. All of a sudden, I just no, uh, no, no, when you no, talk I'm, about I'm cradling, so, I'm and so I'm so happy. I I have to tell you something that's very important. I do not feel that I write the music that comes through me. Though I studied at McGill and though I know how to write music, and though I can almost read it, uh, I say almost because reading was never one of my great skills, but I can, I can write music and you know, whatever and all the rest of that stuff and for different parts and this and that and all the stuff, right? But I, I feel like that what I have been all these years is a radio and then my job has been to tune to the frequencies that my radio is best, best receives on. And that that's been my job. Because what happens is music comes to me in a flash. I put it down. And when I finish putting it down, I don't understand what it is almost. It's like I almost cannot read it back. It comes. It's coming from 
I don't want to get all too mystical here, but I will. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I feel like we are all, we all have something that is, we are one with the universe. The universe is an intelligence, and we are part of that intelligence. And that all of us have something that is part of what the universe wants for its own larger self and its own larger evolution. And every one of you has something that is just only you can offer. Only you can offer it. And if we can come to the point of understanding what that is, then through you, the universe will completely speak and give you everything that you need to celebrate yourself and all those around you who are one with the universe with you. There's a, I've just finished reading a, an amazing astrophysicist. And I mean, for me to read an astrophysicist, it took me, I had to take one page at a, a day and digest it because it was so profound. He is very well known, very famous. At the end of it, this is what he had to say. He said, his belief from his studies of, astroph of astrophysics is that the universe was made for life and that we are the consciousness of its life and that as we evolve, we will change the, the past, we will change the universe's past. This, he's talking as a physicist now. We will change the, the whole past of the universe and we will change the future of the universe, which is a way of saying we are one, we are it. We are the, the minuscule aspect of the, of the, of the unfathomable. So, and that goes right back into the Buddhist concept yeah. that as we change, as we change ourselves, so we change everything around us. And your generation is doing that right now. You're doing that because you are all world citizens and you know that. And your generation is interested in, you're not interested in how much money can I make? You want to support your families, you need to support your life, you know that. You're all looking at how can I help to change, how can I help to make this a better community? How can I help? How can I help? That is an evolutionary step in the growth of the human species, for which I thank you. Well put, Glenn, thank you so much. Um, you, uh, you're in, you know, you say you're a, a messenger. Have you been struck by inspiration recently? Uh, can we expect uh, new music from you at some point? I'm constantly writing music all the time, all the time. I almost died once uh, as a result of a bowel obstruction that caused my bowel twisted overnight into a knot. And uh, I came within a few hours of dying. And um, the reason I didn't die is because uh, I, was, uh, I was rushed to the hospital and it had been twisted for now for well over, you know, it was like getting into the 40th hour. And um, a, um, another a practitioner of, of the same sect 
rushed to the hospital and began chanting, because I was like, oh, what's this? That's what was happening, right? And she rushed into the room, and she was so concerned, and all of a sudden she went, nam yo hore ne kyo, nam yo hore ne kyo, nam yo hore ne kyo. And my brain went, no. And at that very moment, a, a nurse walked in, right? And she said, we're going to take you first thing in the morning. I said, I will not be here first thing in the morning. I will be dead. And she raced out. She raced out. And they wheeled me into surgery and in, in 15 minutes' time and took out a foot and a half of dead gut. Right? I was dying. I was within an inch of dying. Right? But when I was under, when I was under, when I came back out, not that I died on the table, I was out running a week and a half later. I was out back doing my mild day. I healed really quickly. But when I was under, or just coming out, I woke up and it was what I, what I felt, what I saw, what I knew was, it's all love. It's all love. And that changed me, right, in that moment. And it was like, that's what. So, any new songs? Yeah, I, yeah, I have a lot of songs about that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure I got an answer to my question. That's all. I. I sorry. Are you going to record these songs? The question from oh, eventually, the eventually, you yeah. know, yeah. When you know, when 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 enough money comes in, because what what I'm doing now is not something that's you know giving me lots of money or anything. It's not like you know, this 20 minutes of fame is not you know showering money. Right. But if if, and I expect that it will, there will come a time when I'll be able to record these new pieces. Yeah. Glenn, I'm I'm so happy that you're here. Um, I mean that in a world sense. I thank you for being here. Um, before we go, is it possible for you to pick a song from Keyboard Fantasies for the podcast audience listening uh, to hear uh, before we uh, go? Well, people seem to love Ever New, okay. right, because of the words. Yeah. Right? And, and, and some people love Sunset Village, and some people love Let Us Dance. Those are the only three that I sing in, right? Right. So, but, you know, what, what, which one do you like? Now, why did you, you, you chose Ever New there. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what inspired the words in that piece? No. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not being sassy. I'm you are being a little sassy. Okay, I, okay, I'm, I'm, I am black, and that is part of the course. <laughs> no, no, but, I, but, go ahead. But, but, but um, uh, no, it, once again, Things come. I don't sit around thinking, what do I want to write? So, just go. so just to be clear here, I don't even want an origin story necessarily. I kind of want your, if you are indeed a messenger and something came to you. Well, I don't mean a messenger in a, a capital M. You know? oh, okay, you like know, an MSN just, messenger? I know I said I was a messenger. Listen, listen here's my question though. Okay. I'm saying oh, you can't speak to the origin of the, the, the piece. Right. Talk about your perspective on the piece. Talk about the, your perspective on something you created that you may not have a, okay. you, know, you may not okay. own it because it came to you, but. Okay, when I look at it, at, at what comes through, I am in awe, and that is the truth. I just looked at it, I look at this and I go, where did that come from? 
right? I mean, it, you know, Beethoven's Ninth, where did that come from, right? Came after the Eighth? After the Eighth. <laughs> Sorry, is there a no. rim shot? Can I Beethoven. get a rim shot on the... No, yeah. Beethoven's Ninth <laughs> is, is something from somewhere else. I'm going to edit that joke out. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I've been giving you a hard time. <laughs> it's good. No, no, you're not giving me a hard time. I deserve it. I've just been having no, no. I've just been having fun with you. I've been having fun and with you. You seem like you, you have a really, you know, you seem like a solid, like you know who you are. So therefore, I can have fun. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I agree. Okay. I think. Yeah, no, you're not hurting me. No. Okay. Yeah. You. Okay. Okay. So we'll go with Evernew. Sure. And, and before we go, though, also, where can people learn more about you uh, on the computers, on the phones, on the internet? Well, currently there's a lot of stuff up. Yeah. So if you just, you know, just put my name in, um, there's stuff that comes up. And, you know, you can peruse around. And, you, know, you vouch for everything on the internet about you. Is that what you're saying? No, you don't want to curate I, this I on even, some. You can tell them to go to your website or something. I, like, I didn't even know there was such a thing called Spotify until last week, okay? Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm not learned, and I, and, I'm not, and I don't know stuff, and which is why I have to talk to people constantly, because yeah. you're all, like, teaching me about what's going on now, right? For which I'm very grateful, because otherwise I'd have to get back on the turnip truck. <laughs> okay. Okay, look up uh, Beverly Glenn Copeland on the Internet, right? Yes, well, we, 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 just, we, we just watched it, Latecomer. We just watched it. What? Yeah, Tom Gill. The, the, Lake, the, the, the Lake Sutra is the name of the film. Thank you, Tom. I just want to quickly let you people know that uh, in case you don't know, my show is called Creative Control. It's available on all uh, iOS and Android uh, podcast platforms and also Spotify. So now, now that uh, you've found that, you can find it there. And you can learn more about me at vishkana.com. I'd like to thank the Kazoo crew for having us here and all of you for braving this weather. And uh, one last time, one big round of applause for Beverly Glenn Copeland.
Very, very special thanks to Beverly Glenn Copeland for being part of this, the 390th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on Spotify and Audioboom.com, too. I feel like I said this already. Didn't I say this? I said this to the audience listening, but now I'm saying it again. It's just the way I am. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for, for some reason, or if you want to learn more about me or sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. That's V-I-S-H-K-H-A-N-N-A.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at vishcreative, or follow me at vishkana. Listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon, Eastern Standard Time around the world at CFRU.ca or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. Also visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep the podcast going. And if you'd like a a small token of my appreciation in return for your donation, just send me a uh, drop me a line. Just send me a line via the uh, Patreon inbox thingy there and I will respond to you and we'll work something out. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, and Planet of Sound, which has locations in Toronto and in Ottawa. All of them have supported the show in some way, so thanks to them. Thanks also, as always, to Jim Guthrie for letting me use the instrumental version of The Rest is Yet to Come to end the show each week. And thanks again to you for listening to it and reviewing and rating it and downloading episodes of the show and spreading the word about it. All of that stuff is uh, immensely appreciated. I will talk to you very soon with brand new episodes. Very, very soon. So stick around for those. Keep uh, tuned in, whatever it is. You know, keep tabs on the show. More shows are coming. Bye for now. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.